think I turned it off. Um, hi, yes, I've got down here to introduce myself. I feel like that has been thoroughly covered. Um, so yeah, aside from running the recovery course, as I mentioned, I am a freelance journalist and a writer. And um, I was recently in touch with a Christian publishing house who asked me if I wanted to put together a proposal for a book on strength. So I did a load of research, put together a sample chapter, which is with them now. They may or may not commission it. Now that I've said it on a stage, it'd be quite embarrassing if they don't, but that could easily happen. Um, so we'll see if they decide that they want me to write the full book. But when uh, these guys asked if I wanted to do a sermon, it felt silly not to share with you some of the research that I did as part of that and some of the thoughts that sort of came out of it as well. So this just felt like a good opportunity. Um, so yeah, so I'm talking on strength. Strength is a com concept that we get quite confused, especially uh, in terms of sort of the secular world. It's often muddled with power or influence. And when people are encouraged to have strength, usually that encouragement is directed towards women and not massively towards men, possibly, I don't know, for fear of fueling aggression or something like that. But we're all told to be strong women. You don't really hear a huge amount um, of strength for men, really. Um, so in amongst all of this sort of muddled definition, I thought the first thing to do really is to be really clear on what it is we're speaking about. So I picked up a dictionary or Googled something, um, Googled the definition of strength. And this is what I got. Strength derived from the word strong, able to withstand great force or pressure. Uh, and then there are a few other phrases which I thought were quite nice. Showing determination, self-control, good judgment, not easily affected by disease or hardship, not easily disturbed, upset or affected, firmly held or established. Um, I felt like that painted quite a nice picture. Um, obviously self-control is mentioned there, that's, that's one of the fruits of the spirit, so that's already along biblical lines. And I think that you could, when you look at Jesus and how people describe Jesus, you could quite fairly use some of those adjectives to describe him. So it didn't feel like I was massively off track with that sort of dictionary definition. But next, it felt sensible to see what God had to say about it. So in looking at what, God, what strength looks like in a biblical term, terms, I started out by looking at times in the Bible where people have needed strength, asked for it, and been given it. Exactly what that looked like, what they ended up with. Um, and the first one that came to mind, the first bloke in the Bible who I thought needed strength was David of David and Goliath. So that's obviously a story that I hadn't looked at since I was like in Sunday school. So we'll recap on a few of the details in case you haven't either. Uh, we're back in Samuel. It's between 1100 and 1000 BC. The Philistine army and the Israelites have drawn battle lines. They have set up their camps and in between them is just this valley, basically. Um, down from the Philistine army comes this big booming giant, this guy, Goliath, who actually turns out to be six foot nine. So not like mythically big, but still like standardly pretty tall guy. Um, also, he is covered in armor, which weighs 5,000 shekels. 
I think, yeah, 5,000 shekels. And um, a bit of conversion online tells me that that's about 35 kilos. So the equivalent of two check-in bags on a Ryanair flight are strapped to this guy's chest as he's like, you know, booming down the hill. So he comes, he shouts into the crowds, he challenges them, he goads them. He wants someone to come and fight him. Man on man, square up to him, this massive guy. See, no one volunteers. This goes on for 40 days until David overhears him. Now, David wasn't a military man. He wasn't even there as part of the army. He was actually the youngest of his family and had just left his sheep behind to drop off a few supplies for his brother, and then he was going to head back anyway. So he wasn't even there to fight, but he heard this and decided that he was going to step up. Um, So he's actually described in the Bible as little more than a boy. Um, Obviously, when you think about the difference between them, there's a guy who's definitely going to need some strength. Um, But he was steady and confident. He believed the Lord would provide and be with him. So he said, this is in 1 Samuel. I'm going to dot about the Bible a little bit. I think the guys at the first service really struggled to keep up. So, you know, it's up to you. Um, So... 1 Samuel 17:34 The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Um, his so basically this is quite a big other topic but effectively your faith and your strength are inexplicably linked. Um, you derive your strength from your faith. And um, that is something that David had. He had the faith Um, He even um, worked that into some of his pre-fight trash talk. And he said, you come against me with the sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. That's 1 Samuel 17, 45. Um, So this story, we all know how this ends. David gets stone in a sling, fires it, at Goliath, Goliath falls down, Philistine army fell, battle won, absolute joy for the Israelites and for God's army. Um, Basically, this is all down to David's unwavering faith that God will provide the strength. But what he didn't get when when he had that faith, when he prayed for it, was equal strength. He wasn't puffed up. He didn't. He couldn't match him muscle for muscle. He wasn't like Popeye who suddenly had like some spinach and just increased in size. He was still him. What he was given was perfect aim and perfect timing because that was what was required for that struggle. Um, so another example, and we'll go, this is, yeah, another Old Testament classic, Moses. Moses is in the desert, burning bush. The Lord is speaking to him, telling him, you know, head into Egypt and just, you know, liberate all of those Israelites. Um, If you could do that, that'd be great. And he doesn't quite have David's faith initially. He doesn't sort of jump at the challenge. Um, Actually, what he does is question the Lord three, three times. He says, who am I to do this? What if they question me? What if they don't believe me? And then even when God provides exact answers to those questions, he still says, actually, do you know what? I think, I think I'm all right. Can you, can you send someone else? I'm really not up for this. Um, but God, God reminds him who God is. He says, 
Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? That's Exodus 4.11. Sorry, I should say this before. Um, Yeah. So in that moment, Moses is feeling pretty weak. He's feeling pretty unequipped for this task, this massive task. Um, What God gives him is exact phrasing. Um, the exact words to say when he's questioned, gives him some miracles to back it up. And then he also sends Moses' brother with him just to keep him going, to bolster him on that journey. So sometimes sometimes that's what strength looks like from the Lord. Sometimes it's, it's wise words. Sometimes it's a miracle. Sometimes it's just a mate. Um, and actually, when I was thinking about this story, I thought of a time that God very definitely did that for me. Um, So I run the recovery course. Some of you may know this, some of you may not, because I'm in recovery for alcoholism and drug addiction. Uh, I've been clean for just over four years, three months. Um, Oh, oh, it's like being in a meeting. Thanks, guys. Um, Yeah, which is great. But obviously, I am in a different place now to the one that I was when I first started on that journey. So about three weeks into my recovery, which incidentally was uh, about three weeks into my faith in God as well, because I started going to church only a few days after I started working uh, through the recovery process. Um, I'll I'll paint you a picture. I spent most of my time on the sofa crying, uh, watching repeats of Disney movies. I would move just to go to meetings, uh, because I went to a meeting every day at that time, and then I would go off to church on a Sunday as well. Um, I didn't have any friends who were Christian. Only a few of my friends knew that I was in recovery because I didn't know what was going on. I didn't want to go around shouting about that. Um, So I I haven't exactly painted a picture of strength. I'd say it's fair to say I was in quite a weak place. Um, what What I needed was support. What I needed was the sort of strength that we're talking about, however it came. Um, and probably a bit of community as well. And three weeks into my recovery, my flatmate moved out. One of my flatmates moved out, leaving us with a spare room. And um, my other flatmate did all the interviewing. I didn't care. I wasn't in a place to care. And eventually, he found a girl. And I'd had to sit in in some of these interviews. It was tedious. I was bored. I just wanted to be on the sofa with Disney and crying with Ben and Jerry's. And he kept telling me to come and speak to these people. In the end, I was just like, just choose one. I don't care. Just choose one. And he said, okay, there's this girl I think you'll like. She's English. Um, you know, you're English. This, this was in France, which makes that more relevant. And, <laughs> sorry. Um, <laughs> and, um, and he was like, yeah, I, I like her. I think you will. So she moved in on a Saturday. And on the Sunday, I poked my head into her room. And I said, you know, welcome. Uh, how are you doing? She was like, yeah, I, I forgot all the supermarkets in France are closed on a Sunday. And I was like, yeah, they love a good Sunday break. But I've got food. I've got some stuffed fajitas in, in the fridge. Why don't I cook for you? I'm going out now, but when I get back, um, we'll have dinner. So I went out because I was going to church and uh, left the house, got to church. And this girl was sitting two rows in front of me in this church. I don't know where she came from. God just brought her to me in my house. She turned into the biggest pillar of strength for me in a time which was just pivotal for my faith and for my recovery. And I wouldn't have known to ask for that, but that was just what I was given. I was given a person to walk through life with me when I just couldn't function at all. And that was just so spectacular. 
Um, and when I read this, I, it just came back to me that, that just like Moses was sent with Aaron, God delivered Katie to the room next to me. And that, that sort of relationship really formed the start of my faith and my Christianity and my community. I didn't know anyone else who was Christian. Incidentally, a year and a half later, Katie insisted I met up with a girl in London called Lydia Meekins who brought me here. So, you know, God brings you what you need. Um, right, as I was doing this research on strength, um, my mum suggests I read this passage, which I hadn't come across before, which is brilliant, and I've been quoting it left, right, and center for recovery groups, so I'm going to give it to you too. Um, this is 2 Kings, chapter 6. Uh, I'm about to quote 15 to 17, if you did want to get that up. Um, so Elisha we're talking about now. Uh, at this time, Israel was at war with the king of Aram, and God sent Elisha to the Israelites to to fight with them and to support them. And the king of Aram started to get really annoyed because the Israelites always seemed to be one step ahead. They always seemed to know what he was going to do next. He didn't know what was going on. So um, after a bit of investigation, he was told, okay, they've got this prophet, this guy called Elisha, feeding them information about us from God. And that's, you know, that's why they always know what we're going to be doing. Um, so he decided, um, the king of Aram decided he was going to kill Elisha. Classic, classic Old Testament response. Um, so he gathered his army together. He surrounded the city where Elisha was. When Elisha's servant woke up that day, he saw these like crowds and armies waiting for them and freaked out. So I'll read from the Bible now. Um, 2 Kings 6, 15, 17. When the servant of the man of God, so Elisha's servant, got up went and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. The Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. I think the, the concept of feeling outnumbered, the concept of feeling alone, the idea that you are facing something that is just too big to do by yourself, that you are completely isolated, that this is just too much, is something that on some level everyone can relate to. And in that moment... That's how that guy felt. You know, he woke up and suddenly he was going to die. He was completely outnumbered. But what God is promising is that there is more than what we can see. There's a spiritual realm and a spiritual battle and that we can call on his chariots of fire. When we feel outnumbered, when we feel like the battle is too great to fight with us, and he will give us access to that unlimited amount of strength. Um, at this point, I think it's important to stress that we are not talking about building up huge stores of personal strength in order to distribute them as and when we see fit in, what, in whichever situations. The fact is that what we want to train ourselves to do is to plug into God's strength, 
so that he can provide whatever we need, whether that is a friend to walk with us, wisdom, perfect aim, perfect timing, the right phrasing, whatever it is that represents strength in that moment, that, give, that makes us equipped to withstand that great force and great pressure that we were talking about. Um, it's the equivalent of saving up money to put down money to put down money on a house to get a mortgage when God's already told you I'm going to pay your rent every month there is no need you don't need this for yourself if you have the faith to tap into God's strength each time and that's always there that's not going anywhere there's no doubt that that is available for you and it will serve you so much better than relying on yourself um, so it wouldn't be a talk on strength if I didn't quote Paul. Uh, this is probably the most quoted passage uh, on strength. Um, so this is 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10. I'm going to read out the message version, which is a bit annoying maybe. No, I'm going to read out the message version, which is slightly different, um, slightly different interpretation to the one which is in the Green Bibles. Um, but I really like... I like the phrasing, I like it sort of resonates with me, the sort of modern language, so that's what I've gone for. So, because of the extravagance of those revelations, and so I wouldn't get a big head, I was given the gift of a handicap to keep me in constant touch with my limitations. Satan's angels did his best to get me down. What he did, in fact, was push me to my knees. No danger then of walking around high and mighty. At first, I didn't think of it as a gift and begged God to remove it. Three times I did that, and he told me, my grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. Once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap and began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in my own weakness. Now I take limitations in stride and with good cheer. These limitations that cut me down to size, abuse, accidents, opposition, bad breaks, I just let Christ take over. And so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. So there are some amazing themes there. Uh, submission, pride, grace, humility, weakness, vulnerability. Um, all of those will come up in the book if it gets commissioned. But for now, I'm going to talk about weakness and vulnerability. Um, the fact is that we are all weak. It's not a question of if you have weakness, it's how you have weakness. Where does your weakness lie? Um, and praying to be aware of your weakness and to be brave enough to hand it over to God is, is what we're sort of working towards with this. Um, again, you know, I'm going to draw on my own experience as somebody who's an alcoholic I mean, we can pretty much acknowledge that that's a weakness. I can't sit down with you guys and have a glass of wine and enjoy it in the way that you guys would. Even if I did manage to get myself to stop there, it would be like mental agony um, not to sort of just completely go, go for it. Um, and I spent so many years trying to do that, trying to sit down with my friends and have one glass of wine in order that I could enjoy normal socializing, normal life, so that I could be a part of the party. Um, when actually I finally acknowledged that that wasn't an option for me, that I didn't have the strength, that I wasn't capable in my own strength of drinking in a sensible way. That suddenly became 
from, from my biggest weakness, from the thing that stripped a lot of good things from my life, that, that took away so many amazing things I had, it suddenly became my biggest strength, my biggest asset to be able to speak publicly, to be able to share that story with other people, has changed people's lives. And that is an incredible strength, one that I never would have been able to tap into when I was still trying to convince myself that sensible drinking was something that I would be able to achieve. It was the admission and the submission of that situation that brought about such an incredible strength in me that means that people invite me to take a microphone and stand on stage in a church. Like, you wouldn't believe it if you saw me five years ago. Um, yeah. Also, I want to point out that I've never prayed not to be an alcoholic. I've never prayed to be able to sit down and have a glass of champagne at New Year or a beer on a hot summer's day because that's not what this is about. You don't ask for the thorn in your side to be removed. You ask for it to be transformed into something useful, into something that will build God's kingdom. So I think that we can sub sometimes get confused and think that we're praying for our weakness to go away, and maybe we're not. Maybe we're praying for our, a deep awareness of it so that we can use it for something incredibly, spectacularly amazing for yourself or for somebody else. Um, I realize that's a bit of an extreme example, and uh, for people who don't identify as an addict, um, I don't want to sort of exclude those people from this conversation. There are plenty of things that you guys could be getting wrong. Social media, food, pride, anger, humility. I, I could keep going with that list. Like, we've all got things, and it won't just be one either. Um, so without acknowledging these weaknesses, we can't know how much we need God. Um, and I really want to challenge the idea that these limitations are weaknesses at all. Because when you hand them to God... There's just no limit to what he can do with them. Paul is boasting in that passage about his weakness. He is weak, he is flawed, he's persecuted. But 2,000 years later, we're still reading that. We're still tapping into that. We're still quoting him, his words and God's words, obviously. Um, that is some incredible power. That's more influence than any Instagrammer. You know, that is just unbelievable that someone who is literally sitting there saying, I'm broken, I'm nothing, I need God, you know, and we're saying, yeah, that's who I want to be, <laughs> like 2,000 years later. Um, so, yeah, I would encourage you to do the um, Christian cliche thing of taking off the mask of allowing people, like in a maths exam, there are points here for showing you're working, and I think that you should do that. If you only ever present the end result of a situation, it can be really hard for other people to gain strength from your situation and to see your vulnerability. And I'm not saying, you know, don't just sort of dive up to the stage and tell people all of your problems. There's wisdom in it, and it can be prayerfully done. And sometimes that does mean standing on stage, but sometimes it means confiding in one person who you wouldn't have usually spoken to. Um, I was in New York for a month this year, which was amazing. And when I was there, I went to a church called Recovery House of Worship in Brooklyn, which is specially designed for, well, it's for anyone, it's a church, but um, it's set up by people in addiction and it welcomes people in addiction and also their friends and family. Um, and it's an amazing community. 
The thing that struck me most about it, though, was its sort of unflinching honesty. And I suppose when you've admitted to an addiction, you've probably come to terms with the fact that you need to be quite humble. But at the end of the service, you know, when we go for teas and coffees, whatever, the people who smoked just went outside and had a cigarette. They didn't wait until they got home or, like, quickly chew a chewing gum before they got around the corner so no one would know that they were a smoker. They were just smokers in the church family, welcomed, loved, exactly as they were. Um, one of the women who led the um, women's ministry there, she, I don't think she was actually employed by the church, but she was very active in their community, had become pregnant before she was married. And I know that that was a huge struggle for the church because they really wanted to encourage couples to wait until they, you know, the biblical idea of waiting and preserving the sanctity of sexual relationships and of having children for married relationships. And um, what I just thought was so incredible was the honesty with which she spoke about that situation, a situation that a lot of us here, if we were in or our partner was in, we might feel a bit ashamed, we may just not turn up to church, um, we may just change churches altogether. We probably, we probably wouldn't want to sort of stand at the front and speak about it or happily sit down with the other women in the church and explain how she felt about the consequences of that decision. Um, and it was just incredible to see how they, how they lived that out. Um, and she, her baby turned one whilst I was there, and that kid is so happy and is being raised in an incredibly loving community because they are welcome, and, they, and she was brave enough to show her working. She wasn't perfect. She knew it, and, and they love her, you know, probably more because of it. Um, so I would challenge you to tell someone in church something that you would probably usually hide from the church family. You know, like, oh, you're thinking of moving in with your boyfriend. Oh, you have a cheeky cigarette. You know, sometimes you swear a bit too much. Wh whatever it is that you feel like is something you would pack away in a box and not bring into church with you, invite someone in. Let, let the real you be part of this community because it may encourage someone else to see that you're not perfect, that you struggle, that you cry in the shower just like they do. It may help to know that actually not everyone here is the finished product, but there's a lot of working out that's happened before that. Um, so my final point is um, what do we do once we've built this incredibly strong church family? We're all living out that vulnerability. We're all being authentically us. We're working through things one step at a time, tapping into God's strength. Um, well, I've got two suggestions of what we can do um, in that situation, which is now. Um, so one is there's something so attractive about people who can tackle situations. There's something like magnetic about them. If you meet someone who just ex instinctively knows what to do when things go wrong, you know, we've all met them at work or in church or in our personal lives. When you see that person who just seems to have it all together and has got a sensible response to a situation, um, there's, there, you, you kind of want to know how they did it. You want to know how they got there. And um, I would challenge you to signpost when you're that person, when you've got that strength, when you've tapped into God's strength, signpost God in that situation. Be a mirror that reflects up rather than accepting the glory of that amazing thing that you did for yourself. Um, credit where credit's due. And if you have been able to pull off something great, which you will be able to with this, um, then let people know that that's Jesus. Don't let them think that's you. 
Um, and the second thing is, and this is a quote from the recovery course, I stole it. Um, in the Bible, there are various words that appear time and time again, classic sort of themes. Joy appears 241 times. Believe comes up 289. And the word pray features 367. Uh, but there are a couple of words that come up even more than that. Um, I imagine you'll be thinking love. Love is obviously a big deal in the Bible, and that comes up 686 times. There's something else that comes up more than all of those words combined. Give, given, and gave appear 2,666 times in the Bible, almost 2,000 times more than the word love. Um, I would encourage you to give radically, to give extravagantly, if you have got yourself to a position in faith where you're tapping into God's strength, you have access to something that people who don't know Jesus can't even dream of. You are so fortunate and you can share it and you can, you can help people in their weakness by tapping into God's strength. Um, and when you see those opportunities, you should take them. Uh, on the recovery course, if somebody comes and says that they need help, we will do what we can to help them. We will be creative. We will tailor that to the individual. We really try and go the extra mile to show those people how much we care about them, how much we love them, that even though they are in such a position of weakness, we found, we found a way of getting strength, and, and we want to help them tap into it as well. So... Um, my final, final point is um, that these days we have stopped storing up money. Uh, loads of people have decided they won't be able to get a mortgage. It's too expensive, London prices, blah, blah, blah. No point even saving. You think you've got there and suddenly the prices have gone up because that was two years ago. All of that kind of stuff. We're not, we're not saving money in the same way that other generations did. What we're doing with our finances these days is um, booking experiences. We're going on holidays. We are doing sort of amazing things like big trips and living our best life, hashtag. Um, but so how we spend our time has become just as precious a commodity these days as how we spend our money. So with that in mind, I'm going to reread a passage that makes everyone feel a little bit sick when it comes out. Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if, in our, if our, in our modern time, our treasure is our time, where are you investing your time? And what does that say about where your heart is? That is my challenge to you. Could you be investing your time in a way that is more kingdom building, that, that benefits the church community, that benefits somebody else? Is that something, is that a question you could ask yourself? Um, I'm just going to lock that. I'm going to invite the worship group back up at this juncture. Um, and um, I'm going to lock that in in prayer, if that's all right. So, God, I just pray that each person here will be encouraged to wisely show vulnerability, to take off the mask, to admit to somebody else in their community that sometimes they don't always get things right and to be real. I pray that we will all be accountable and that we will love each other 
as we all take the brave step of opening up in that way. Show us how not to judge, condemn, or even hand out advice, but just to love, listen, and welcome while other people work through what they're working through. Help us be brave and to hand our weaknesses over to you in exchange for your strength. And my prayer for each person here is that when they feel that they are up against it, when they feel like the challenge is too much, that they are alone, that they are isolated, that they will not be able to overcome it, that you will open their eyes and they will see the chariots of fire that you have sent to support them as they work towards your kingdom, Lord. We pray that in your name. Amen.